tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geeks Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geeks Watch. We are still talking about Electric Dreams on Amazon Prime. Uh, definitely into the show now. The second episode has sold me on it. Oh, yeah. That's that's interesting. And and once again, the second episode for us, which is the eighth episode over in the BBC, for whatever reason, they, they reordered them when airing it on Amazon Prime from when they originally aired on BBC. So that's a strange thing as well. We'll have to look into that. Yeah, you know, we, we definitely have to look into that, why, why that is. Well, our theory is that uh, the they first wanted episode. to do a little more star power mm-hmm. to kind of get us hooked. So, But why why not start off the, the in the the correct order then after that why go to the eighth episode i don't know maybe there's some kind of narrative flow that we're missing i mean i think that also happened with uh, black mirror didn't it didn't we get them in a slightly different order well we got the seasons in a different order so oh. if, if you go on to netflix right now and you you go turn on black mirror it will start with season three which is the season that started on netflix or the that's when netflix took over black mirror i should say um and then when you watch through season three and season four, it will go back over to season one and season two. That was originally season one and season two in, in uh, uh, the BBC. Oh, I see. So, yeah, I, it's, it's very that's very odd. I don't know why. but Maybe the Brits just have a different way of doing it. And they might. They, they, it also could just be like, you know, a, a different way of uh, consuming things like. Um, obviously, with Black Mirror, the very first episode of Black Mirror is uh, the national anthem, the yeah. one about the prime minister having to have sex with a pig, and obviously that probably strikes a chord more with people in the UK than it does over here. Um, they should remake that episode, except this time, um, or maybe just superimpose that Trump baby balloon that they've been <laughs> for floating the pig? around. Yes, God, uh, and then. I, I don't know. Our, the first episode here was the the Total Recall episode, or uh, what was it? Real Life. Yes. Uh, that could have been star power. That could have been the idea that we, it's just a uh, a storyline that we are more understanding to, like we it's something that we could grasp onto more, like with the whole Total Recall uh, similarity. I could see that too. Yeah. So maybe like when they first started it on, on the BBC, the first episode or the first few episodes might have been. A little harder to digest right and this is something that kind of eases us into it mm-hmm. just like um firefly if you it, when those episodes aired out of order originally in fox because the first episode was that that was originally made was supposed to be the one where it, it has all the backstory of all the people of how they became the crew members of the firefly of the serenity of serenity yeah um 
but the first episode that we saw uh, when it aired was the was that was a more action packed episode because the the producers or Fox or whoever was just like, oh, we need an episode that's going <laughs> to capture capture pe- pap- uh, capture people's minds or whatever, capture their attention. That's the word. Yeah, see, they want to lead with their best foot forward, but sometimes that can destroy the narrative a little bit. Yes, exactly. It hurt, it definitely hurt the narrative. Uh, but yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about in about 30 minutes. If you uh, don't want to hear spoilers for Ant-Man and the Wasp, because that's what we're going to talk about first, um, go ahead and skip forward. But uh, just know that you've been warned. So, Ant-Man and the Wasp, third movie in the Marvel Studios for this year following Black Panther and Avengers Infinity War. How did you feel going into this movie? Hated it. You hated it going into the movie? No, just kidding. <laughs> no, I I actually was in a... <laughs> well, long story short, I was in a bad mood when I decided to go see it, so I kind of wanted to go in hating it. Oh. Um, that I, is the little bit of the, you know, the, the biases that we take into, into movies when we go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was very heavily biased the first time I watched Hot Rod, and I almost walked out of it because of it. Uh, but it wasn't until I became exposed to The Lonely Island that I rewatched it, and I really appreciated it for what it was. Ah, okay. But, yeah, the first time I watched it, I was like, this is horrible piece of garbage yeah i didn't like hot rod the first time i watched it either but yeah i have con- i've gone gone back and rewatched it and i have enjoyed it it grew on me yeah like it's the same thing with mystery men like mystery men the first time i saw it i was like this is garbage but yeah. i've watched it several times be after that and i was like okay this is actually really good. i didn't appreciate the meta aspect of it because i guess right. we just hadn't been so exposed to it yeah. and it was just too new I was like, oh, I don't like this. This is how can you be making fun of superheroes? I love superheroes, and like, oh yeah, yeah, making fun of superheroes is fine. I mean, I feel like if it would have come out now, it probably would have done really well. Oh, I I bet. I'm I'm surprised someone's not working on a a remake or readaptation of that right now. Yeah, but anyway, so I went in kind of like just in a foul mood, saying, "I was like, all right, movie, do your job and like." entertain entertain me me, movie yeah and uh i was actually kind of holding on to that grudge i had against the movie up until uh basically uh michael pena's scenes especially the the big one in the The, middle the big truth serum yeah that just won me over i'm like okay i can't stay mad at you movie i just (laughs) i i forgave it and i asked it for my forgiveness or for trying to ask of it unfair uh, expectations and um, ultimately i ended up kind of balancing it out Uh, it's Ant-Man for me has never been like a really important character it's not a comic book character i really follow up on um, I liked the first movie well enough, but I always felt also that it was just kind of like, nah, well, I mean, that was a movie. It's, mm-hmm. It it's, happened. It's part of the universe. Yeah, like, it's no big deal. Um, and this one was like, I I don't want to say I liked it more than the first movie after the fact, but I definitely, like, even after it won me over, I really liked the characters a lot more in this one. Mm. I guess I liked the plot more in the first movie, but I liked the characters as you know they play them in this one a bit more and i well again michael pena kind of stole the show at some point but it has the problem of having kind of like a weak villain um no real um stakes or uh like feeling of danger by the end of it like they save the day and they even like help the 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 villain who was actually more of a victim than anything um, there was way too many parallels to uh, Whiplash for my liking. 
mm. with uh, you know the the character the villain's father having been a disgraced former coworker of the of heroes like mentor right and uh, you know as a result like their work kind of had a negative effect on their child which now wants help or revenge on the previous set mentor mm-hmm. i was like well i mean it is marvel they they have a well that they can draw from so i'm sure they just kind of switched it up a little bit yeah so ultimately i was like well everything just kind of got res- like resolved really easily and conveniently so i never felt like there was any real stakes but like i said i didn't really come to this one for the plot and i definitely didn't care for it i just really liked the character interactions and their portrayals especially anytime michael peña was you know telling a story and in his way but visualized by the other uh, actors that was that was pretty oh awesome. that scene was was amazing yeah <laughs> uh, i'd say that i went into this movie super excited like um i really enjoyed the first ant-man i thought i thought it was a great addition to the marvel cinematic universe i thought uh paul rudd who i was kind of skeptical at first like playing scott lang and but i think he's made the character his own and, and totally done a, a great job with him um I was excited to see what Evangeline Lilly was going to do with her character now that she's not going to be tied down with the whole nagging, uh, super not superficial, but like uh, angry uh, version of the character that she had to play in the first movie. She grew her hair out is what she did. <laughs> she grew her hair out. So, you know, there you go. Um, to me, Michael Douglas has always been the, the weak link in, in, the t- in the movies, and I still feel like he's not really used all that much in this movie so which is fine with me i'm not a big michael douglas fan so uh as for the stakes though i i really felt like 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 especially the parts where uh towards the end where you're worried of whether or not they're gonna get uh if hank's gonna get jan jan janet out of the uh the quantum realm in time i i really felt like those were the state like those were real stakes like we could have lost both of them if not one of them um, talking about Ghost and I really feel like you go back to Civil War and that's when Marvel kind of figured out that hey we need to make our villains sympathetic like the reason why they are doing the villain thing is because they've had a great tragedy in their life so you get Baron Zemo Zemo in Civil War is doing what he's doing because he lost his whole family during Age of Ultron, right? Yeah. Uh, you then you go on to Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, uh, the Mads Mikkelsen's character, is doing all the bad things uh, he's doing. Castilian. Be- yeah, he's doing it all because he lost all of his family. And then when he found out that his mentor was a liar and using the dark art to prolong her life and a hypocrite, being a hypocrite, he, he went to the dark side. Then you get to Killmonger, which is probably one of the, you know, obviously the best example of what's going on here. I mean, I don't know who's your antagonist in Thor Ragnarok, really. I guess Hela. Hela would be the main one. I mean, she's kind of just betrayed by her father because after she helped, you know, clear out uh, all the all the ice giants, frost giants in 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 Asgard, he he locks her away in Hell, so she's upset by that but she's kind of not really fleshed out all that well yeah she's just uh i mean she's the goddess of death she just kills for li- or or lives to kill right. so so then you got eric killmonger who his father was betrayed by his brother and you know he was left 
in the streets of Oakland to fend for himself. So he's just pissed, pissed about off. that too. He's yeah. pissed off at the whole nation of Wakanda. And I want to I want to talk about this. I hear so many people because I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I hear so many people talking about how uh, T'Challa and Eric and Killmonger are the exact same. Like Killmonger, you know, is just doing what ex- eventually uh, T'Challa ends up doing with Wakanda. You know, exposing it to the real world. And I say that a lot of people, I to me, I feel that a lot of people are missing the big the big point of Eric Killmonger's character is that he hates Wakanda. His idea of of sending out the war dogs and uh, you know trying to fight a the the rest of the world was not to make Wakanda better, but to expose Wakanda so that everybody would then attack Wakanda and destroy it. That's the reason why he destroys all the the heart shaped herb, and that's the reason why like he is go- he his whole purpose is to get everybody all the Wakandans killed. And I think more and more people think that. No, he's trying to start a revolution. And I, I think that most people are missing the fact that he's not doing that. That he's literally trying to to destroy Wakanda. And this is the way to do it by making them think that they are they are doing the right thing. Do you, does that make sense to me or to you? It makes sense. Um, I don't agree with it entirely. I think um, while he doesn't care for Wakanda, mm-hmm. he certainly feels like... Um, like he wants to unite all of the people that have basically been in his situation that have been disparaged or abandoned to um you know band together under like one singularity and fight back from their oppressors so whatever happened to wakanda would be kind of incidental i think he just wanted to use their resources to kind of distribute them amongst like every other person of like african descent and say like why are you putting up like we like this is our rightful place this is where we are and we should finally push back so while he didn't care for wakanda as a nation he cared for his like ancestors his like brothers in arms as a people i don't think so i i he does i don't think he cares about the 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 people or the other people that 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 way because that I feel like he he's picking a fight with the the biggest world powers superpowers of the world, uh, you know, by sending out those uh, those ships with the vibranium weapons and stuff like that. And if you get a retaliation from the, even though Wakanda is super advanced, way past anybody else in the world, like it's one nation versus the rest of the world, and it's just not gonna they're not gonna live. They're not gonna live through it. Like his his idea is to destroy Wakanda and everything about it. But that's just me. Anyways, getting on to the next thing. Thanos. Thanos, then we, we find out that, you know, uh, he was a, a guy that was trying to... He, he loved Gamora. He, you know, he had a daughter. He he had a wife. He had, you know, he was just trying to make the, the rest of the universe see it his way that there's not... There's too many people and not enough resources. Uh, and then now we get to Ghost. And now Ghost is... A, it was a little girl that got trapped in uh, an explosion that killed her father and mother and she now cannot stay solid in one universe as she phases between the quantum universe and this one and uh you know we feel for her my question is do we have to constantly have sympathetic villains can we i personally like darren cross from the first ant-man like i like the megalomaniac bad guy that just that wants greed and and wants to 
develop this big weapon so that he can, uh, you know, make money off of it or whatever. But that kind of falls into that formula of people not being like, oh, well, who cares about this villain? He, he, he doesn't, he's not fleshed out or anything like that. Is, does fleshed out mean sympathetic? Do we have to be sympathetic towards, towards him? No, you can be fleshed out and not have sympathy as part of your character description. Uh, one of my favorite villains of all time was um, the character that was in the Batman, the animated series. It's not even in the movie. It's in the animated series for um, A Heart of Ice, mm-hmm. um, who was uh, the, the main character, which was like the CEO of the company that ended up causing the accident that created Mr. Freeze. Mm-hmm. He plays himself off as a humanitarian and um, you know, real helper of the people and cares about many causes. But no, he's really just like a real greedy corporate asshole. And like... It was just his lack of empathy that created Mr. Freeze. Um, but yet it's just his public persona, you know, that he put on was he was like a real charming, charismatic guy. And Mr. Freeze was seen as the villain when in reality, the it should be the other way around. Like Mr. Freeze turned out to be the, the sympathetic character. And this other guy that was like this handsome, rich, uh, you know, humanitarian person was the monster. And... I think sometimes you, you you do have to have the dichotomy between the characters to kind of help to, uh, you know, highlight those differences. Like, I think that Killmonger and T'Challa play off really well from each other because ultimately they both, well, I mean, we disagree on this, but I think they both want the betterment of their people as a whole. Mm-hmm. They just have completely different ways to reach that. Uh, the The... It's, it's been thrown around and it's probably because of the race thing that uh, it's a very clear parallel between like Dr. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, mm-hmm. you know, one through peace while the other through force, you right. know, reach equality or something. Um, and I think that kind of combination is important to make a, a good villain. You have to have a villain with a purpose. Um, yeah, you can be greedy, megalomaniacal. You know, your your whole drive could simply be just the accumulation of wealth, and then you know you'll do whatever it takes to get that, uh, and that works because I mean, honestly, I, we have that in real life, just not to the degree of like comic book levels. So, yeah, you don't have to have a tragic backstory. You don't have, and, and as a matter of fact, in many cases, having like a pretty good life growing up and not having much hardship kind of makes you an unsympathetic person because mm-hmm. you don't know how to relate to others and you just kind of become self-absorbed and um, you know you become an asshole sometimes I believe some people are you know beyond saving sometimes I, I think that's I think that's no I actually I don't think that's true I don't I don't feel that's true I think everybody's able to be saved they just have to see the light I guess is even Hitler I think that if you were to have gotten to him earlier enough in life and, and, you know, saved off some of the tragedy that... If he hadn't lost a testicle or been given an A in his art final, we might not have had I mean, what he ends up doing is is fucking horrific and and terrible and and he deserved to die after doing it. But, I mean, who's to say that if time travel were real and you couldn't convince a young Hitler not to be the Adolf Hitler that we eventually know, if that would be a good thing or a bad thing? It's true. It is a moral quandary. But nevertheless, uh, I just felt like the villain in this one, if you could call her the villain, I mean, there was more like antagonist, but there was no clear she's, villain. Yeah, she's definitely the antagonist. Yeah, there's no clear villain. I think 
Uh, I think your closest clear villain is Walton Goggins in his shady black market arms dealing assholeness. But then again, he's kind of just comedy relief too. He's kind of a non-character, which is sad because Walton Goggins is fucking awesome. He's a great actor. And he really killed it in that role too. I really like them in this portrayal of this (laughs) non-person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I makes me wonder if he's going to be used more in the in, in a third Ant Man movie, if that becomes a thing, uh, or a third. I don't know if it goes because it went Ant Man, then Ant Man, the Wasp, and then maybe the third movie is the Wasp like kind of thing. Uh, maybe the next one would be called Gi Ant Man. Gi Ant Man or Gi Ant Man? Yeah, that's what they called it in the Ultimate Universe. Uh, I don't know. It it could be. Uh, I I I definitely hope they use him more. Um, because like we even the characters some of the characters that returned in this one the Dosmolchin guy and Tip or Ti whatever Ti you, yeah uh, you know their characters are kind of just there for a couple minutes each uh, to couple, say a couple clever one liners and then you don't really see them again I think they're even less in this movie than they were in the first oh they're definitely less than they yeah. were in the first uh, and I don't remember did the Dosmolchin guy have a Russian accent yes. In the yeah, first one? he definitely oh. has a Russian accent. I, I couldn't remember that. I was like, is that new? Or <laughs> He does have one of the best lines in this movie, though, about the whole Baba Yoga. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, I mean, I think everybody is familiar with now because of John Wick. Yeah. But uh, he says it, and it's just fucking hilarious. I mean, but, like, most people's only association is because of John Wick. They probably just assume, like, oh, I mean, they must be in some kind of killer dude well no Baba Yaga is really more like an old hag type yeah. character <laughs> it's, it's, it's the boogeyman but it's technically a woman right so it's like a witch but, right but yeah the, the implication is still the same it's like oh a spooky person or mm-hmm. monster or demon yeah exactly um, so yeah going into this movie I was really looking forward to it like I was super into a, uh, a fun movie after Infinity War, which, you know, ends on a very serious note. Uh, and this is a comedy. It's a comedy with a bunch of action scenes in it, which is was great for me. Um, and a lot of humor uh, at the uh, at the behest of the failing powers. Yes. Yeah. So kindergarten size Scott Lang was yeah. great. Um, <laughs> the way uh, Hope plays off that is like, oh, come on. Come on, you can make it. Like kind of thing. That was that was great. Uh, I loved I loved the match car. Like, uh, was it travel case that has all the different vehicles for them to use? Yeah. I don't exactly understand how some of the tech is supposed to work in this universe. Like the way that they have it set up, but pin particles. Right, but like... <laughs> well, because, yeah, the science doesn't hold up. If you follow real physics, if it was possible to shrink a car to the size of a Hot Wheel, it would still weigh the same as the car. It would just be super fucking dense because you just condensed it as hell. And that's the reason why I figure when they, they, they get bigger underneath the other car and the other car goes flying up instead of the, the smaller car getting crushed is because it's super dense. But, but how do you cover the same amount of uh, distance as a regular car when you're that small? And also, how how are you able to lift the case of like a bunch of these cars? Exactly. The but then again, uh, Hank Pym was carrying around a tank in his pocket the whole time in the first movie. The only the only answer to that is Pym particles allow that to happen. Exactly. No, I I totally get that, and that's not what I'm talking. I mean, the switching out the cars seemed weird. The making a building small and then large and like 
like everything inside the building when it's being pulled around like a like a suitcase like how does that not just damage equipment and stuff inertial dampers okay fair enough like the whole building inside the building could exist inside of a tesseract for all i know yeah and actually that was kind of interesting you mentioned that because that little uh, chamber that they had built for a ghost so that she could kind of like help control her powers mm-hmm. uh was very reminiscent of like artist depictions of tesseracts which is like a cube with i didn't know that the multiple yeah it's a uh, basically like a cube within a cube type yeah thing, right but, and that would make sense because it's supposed to be it's supposed to mimic the the quantum realm which would be another universe within inside of our own universe so yeah. it's 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 able to uh work out her powers um what did you think of the the de-aging tech in this movie like i think it, it's gotten great it was better than the first movie which was our i thought the first one was already really good in the first movie, it looked good until he had to speak because then it looked like he was wearing like a mask. Like, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of movement in some parts of his face except for his mouth. So it gave it an uncanny valley appeal, mm. like appearance. But well, in this you know one, they, they, I, I feel that way with Tom Holland. Like I know it's Tom <laughs> Holland's face, but it still looks unreal to me. Like I, I still think that they just made that kid up, like as a depiction. Like <laughs> it was a hologram. They, they used a whole bunch of fucking like. Uh, 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 focus groups to be like, okay, what would you like? Like, would you like set of eyes A or set of eyes B? And then I'd like to think that they took an algorithm of all the past actors that have played Spider Man, <laughs> and then that came out. Yeah, one, I, of, one of my favorite memes about Tom Holland is that he always has this weird face where his lips are pursed. And he looks like he's holding in a little bit of air in his cheeks for some reason. <laughs> and it says, why does Tom Holland always look like he's like hiding a frog in his mouth? I figure that's just because he's always he, he has to work at changing his accent from uh, British to uh, New Yorkan. I guess. And why are the last two Spider-Men and our current Superman British? Like, why, why is Oh, it's just because we, we love British actors. I mean... Are they just better actors? Like, they, they can do kind American of are. better? <laughs> they kind of are. I mean, I... I don't know. Which man. I think is the terrible double standard because we have Superman, we have Spider-Man. Those are played by British actors. But if you were to suggest an American actor to play James Bond, people would be like fucking throwing cars. Oh, they, there'd be riots. I mean, shit, even within the British, if you like got like a Welsh actor to play James Bond, they'd be like, what? Well, I mean, haven't we had a bunch of Scottish actors playing James Bond? Yeah, but the original Scott, the original James Bond wasn't meant to be Scottish. I don't know what he was, but um, he kind of canonically became Scottish after the fact because of Sh- Sean Connery. Yeah, like his his own Scottishness just bled into the characters, <laughs> like, like legend now. So uh, yeah, I, I I just think that's it's a it's a weird double standard. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I just think. Well, that then again, though, I mean, we did let one of our American actors play James or uh, Sherlock Holmes, and uh, then we got. That's true. Yeah. And then one of the other Sherlock Holmes from England is now playing Doctor Strange. That's true. So. And then we also had an American actress play Laura Croft, who is very much English. This is true. But uh, I, 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 honestly, to me, it doesn't matter if you're the best person for the role. Then you're the best person for the role. That's that's all I care about. I don't think uh, Benedict Cumberbatch does good American accents, though. I think in Infinity War, his American accent was a lot better than it was in Doctor Strange. Oh, well, definitely. But that's also been a few years worth of practice. I forget what movie he does where he has, like, the worst southern accent. Oh, it's uh, Osage County whatever. Okay, yeah, that Osage County letters or something like that? No, it's not letters. It's, 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 it's something Osage County. Well, yeah, remember, that one. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty bad. It's yeah, it's great. Which is funny because they say that 
the southern accent is the most easiest for uh, UK actors to do because it's so close. <laughs> That's why they got uh, Andrew Lincoln to play Rick. Yeah, Grimes. exactly. <laughs> it's exactly true. Um, so I, I don't know. Uh, that the, the whole English actor thing is in a, is another story altogether. Kind but of, kind of tangential to this, but is it true that uh, the accent that people like uh, Jimmy Stewart used to have in like the, in movies back in the forties or fifties, um, that accent that they have in, for instance, and in, like it's a Wonderful Life, uh-huh. was dubbed transcontinental. Yes, uh, and it was actually not or a real transatlantic. accent. Transatlantic. Transatlantic. Yeah. Yes. And that was not a real accent that was spoken by anybody in any region. That was just kind of created for the movies to appeal to a broader audience because yes. it, it wasn't specific to any region, so they could just kind of, like, assume it or something. It, it could be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that is interesting, but it also feels like some weird propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what movies are like you want to appeal though. to everyone by being from nowhere. Yeah. That's essentially what it is. I mean, it's the Simpsons are from Springfield everywhere. Technically, Springfield, Oregon, I think, is what they think, finally settled. I don't settled. think they've ever settled on any place. It's well, they've never come out and said it. But who's it, then? Who's they? Uh, internet authorities, such <laughs> as Matt <Pat. laughs> it, It's just like Indiana Jones, top men. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, the rest of the movie. Good Bill special Foster. effects. Yeah, great, great, great special effects. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is Bill Foster. Uh, I love that he ended up kind of being a low-key bad guy because he's helping out Ghost. Yeah, yeah, because he's a surrogate father to her and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I love that him and Hank Pym don't get to get along. Like they, they just hate each other. Uh, what'd you think of of Michelle Pfeiffer? Michelle Pfeiffer is Janet Pym, Janet Van Dyme. For what little she's in it, I liked her. I did feel like they needed to have more of her in there. I I really I think I liked her the most in that um opening scene where it, it's her like 30 years younger and where she's uh <laughs> saying bye to um hope to Jellybean. Yeah, Jelly. Did you like that the fact that Scott calls his daughter Peanut and Janet calls her daughter Jellybean? Yeah, like, I saw, like it, a little, the parallel little parallels there. and stuff like that. You I know. thought that was cute. And um I, I really liked her there. I liked that, like we were mentioning about the old age uh, or the de-aging special effects. Like, yeah, they looked really good in here. I'm like, like, dude, that looks like it was filmed like a while ago. Mm-hmm. And they just had it ready to go for when they were <laughs> ready to make the movie. So another thing I thought I was interested about that, like, you take into account that we know what Michael Douglas looked like. or We have plenty of movies where we saw Michael Douglas at that age, right? Yeah. Same with Michelle Pfeiffer. And then there's also plenty of movies where Lawrence Fishburne is that age that he's being depicted as in the fa- the past scenes, right? Yeah. But they obviously still use the actors to play their younger selves as opposed to just having like a, a stand-in and then mapping on the younger face or whatever because... If you look at the old movies of of Lawrence Fishburne, he is super skinny. Yeah. Whereas the the past version of of Bill Foster is, I mean, I'm not saying that Lawrence Fishburne is overweight, he but was, he's obviously he was, much thicker. He was barrel chested. Yes, barrel chested a little bit around the neck is is a little yeah. bit plumper and stuff like yeah, that. The round face. Whereas yeah. Michael Douglas's younger self and uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's younger self are still very thin and 
And uh, no, know. yeah, I was I was thinking about that, and I was remembering it was like thirty years ago, Lawrence Fishburne was Cowboy Curtis on Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> yes, and like he had like Jerry Curl, and like yep. he was really thin. And yeah. then forty years ago, he was in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. So I mean, in that he's like super fucking thin. <laughs> so. I, don't, I, I just thought that was an interesting point. All that Matrix money gets you a lot of cheeseburgers. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, the, the 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 main antagonist the of Ghost, I thought they did her scenes really well, her fight scenes. Um, the the quantum realm traveling back in there, uh, seeing him, seeing Hank having to deal with those characters, and then kind of like losing his shit too towards the end there before <laughs> Janet finds him. Yeah. And then sh- then finding Janet in her Mad Max Fury Road kind of like decked out outfit where she's, you know, re uh repurposed some of her wasp uh, uniform, like she's made the the mask, you know, kind of a half mask to help keep the sand out of their face and then turn her wings what into she a ate during this time. So I think that this is an interesting question. Obviously, she's uh, she's she's gained some type of powers because the quantum realm is, as as she put it, evolved her. Yeah. Uh, I honestly think that she was able to keep up sustenance just out of necessity. Like her body created whatever uh, energy or vitamins or whatever she needed to stay alive. Or maybe tying into the make credit sequence that the, the quantum particles somehow have a healing have factor. a healing uh, capability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we saw that uh, she was able to transfer some of that into Ghost at the end to and, fix her, or at least temporarily fix yeah, her. Yeah, and it looked like it, they they mentioned that like it, um, it, it was more like therapy because it sounded like they still needed to collect more in order to continue helping her. Right, but it definitely like kept her from dying because Lawrence Fishburne gave her like a couple of weeks mm-hmm. for. Uh, you know the the her molecules were just too unstable, so yeah, it it seems like I I would kind of be- agree with that that maybe the quantum field or whatever, and plus being so small, I mean it probably just gave her everything she needed just to stay alive, and yeah, she, it sounds like she definitely was exposed to a lot of quantum energy and it's changed her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this gets me into another thing because we talk about the mid credit scene. The mid credit scene is. The, the the exact tie-in to Infinity War. So the the movie itself takes place what two years after Civil War, because uh, yeah. you you talk Scott has been on house arrest and hasn't talked to Hank and 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 Hope since since being put on house arrest for his actions in Civil War. Uh, and then you have a little bit of time jump after they resolve their problem with Ghost and getting uh, Janet back from the the quantum realm. Uh, and then we're up to the last couple days of, or the last day, or the the events of Infinity War where the snap happens. And as Scott goes into the time tunnel again, uh, the the he calls back to the rest of the team of being Janet, Hope, and Hank, and all you see is is dust. So they've all been eliminated from the world or from the universe, uh, and he's stuck in the the quantum realm. Now, you had asked me off air, how do I think he's going to get out of the quantum realm? Now, I I think there's two theories. There's two theories for me. 
the one that they're probably going to go with because Janet had mentioned it earlier in the movie that uh, stay away from the time vortexes. Now that's gonna. I think that he's going to go into the time vortexes and then travel back in time, and you're going to see him jumping around through time, uh, either in the 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 key scenes that we know that they're recreating for this for Avengers Four, and then eventually he. I think he's going to kind of be the the linchpin that will uh, save the day in Avengers Four, setting things right, or the other thing that she mentions as they're coming out of the the quantum realm she says the thing is is that the quantum realm kind of evolves you it changes you it makes you something new right right i think this is the seeds that they're planting for the fantastic four once disney gets a hold of the the rights from fox they have they instead of saying the negative zone and i just threw up air quotes or cosmic rays or cosmic rays uh i think that I think that the Fantastic Four will be other people that have been stuck in the quantum realm since the '60s, and uh, Reed will get Reed and his team will get Scott out of there, and then Scott will come out and be like, "Hey, I found these guys; they're gonna help me now," like kind of thing. You know, help that, take out Thanos. That's a fun fan theory, and I like it because my hope for the end of Infinity War, when. Um, I was going to call it when Sam Jackson, but when uh, Nick Fury, um, same person, the I guess. Yeah, when he uses the beeper, and we were all just like anticipating, like, oh, what's going to show up on this thing? I was so, so hoping, and like a part of me still wants to believe that in another dimension, this is what happens. <laughs> um, it's not the Captain Marvel symbol, but a Fantastic but it, Four symbol. But it's a four. <laughs> yeah. And I want to, like, I knew it. That's so awesome. I want to see that. That'd be so cool. And yeah, so that kind of ties into that idea that I had sort of that was like, they're going to have to become involved and this could be a good way to introduce them because, I mean, we've already seen Cosmic Rays like twice and one other time like unofficially and in other incarnations right. of the Fantastic Four and that's always been their history. Um, but that's pretty passe. I mean, like, like I think the Quantumverse has some good potential for... And I could easily see them. It, it's it's they evolved like they evolved inside the quantum verse. Like you, stretchy guy, rock guy, flame yeah. guy, and invisible woman. You know, and we know that like Ham Pym wasn't the only one messing around because that's what happened with uh, with Ghost's father. He right. was experimenting with what looked like almost exactly the same type of quantum tunnel mm-hmm. that they eventually make work. Yeah, so I, I honestly think that that, that 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 little bit of dialogue that she throws out there of being the, the quantum burst evolving you was Kevin Feige's way of planting the seed of Fantastic Four so that they can eventually get them. When they eventually get them, it will be there. If they don't get them, then hey, it's no... no. Uh, we still got the Inhumans. Well, if they don't get... The, it's it, it's just a bit of dialogue to explain why she changed. Mm. It's nothing else. But uh if and it's probably too late for the Fantastic Four to show up in Avengers Four right now because, you know, the deal is still being worked on and and they're still fighting it too. and they're still and it's, it's still being contested or whatever and Avengers Four comes out at the end of the at the or I'm sorry in uh, in May of next year so it's just not up I I honestly don't think it's a possibility but who knows I'm not Disney Disney could have already filmed the scenes they could have already hired actors to play the 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 four the Fantastic Four and we don't even know about it. I doubt it. Or they'll just do like a, 
Janet Van Dyne from the first Ant-Man is, you know, completely in the suit, but you never see the face. That's a possibility, too. So they could just leave it. It could be anybody by the time it comes around. Yep, exactly. So uh, what do you think? Who do you th- how do you think they're going to get out of the, the quantum, how, how Scott's going to get out of the quantum realm? So my theory is that the snap didn't kill Happulation. It simply sent them to a different reality it split the universe okay so half the people are in one universe the other half are in the other and i think that the quantum verse is exempt from it because it's a whole different universe within so scott's going to have access to both universes from where he's at in the quantum verse so wherever hank janet and hope ended up um that's where all the other characters that we saw disappear in the uh, in uh, Infinity, Infinity War. War are going to end up. And then, so when they pull Scott out of the quantum verse, he'll be like, whoa, where's everybody else? And it was like, what do you mean? They all disappeared. And he'll be kind of like the bridge between the, the dimensions. Ooh, that's pretty good. To go back and forth. So one of the things that... Uh I heard this passing week is that I guess Kevin Feige has come out and said that when Thanos snapped, he also took away half the animals and, and plants in the universe too, because those were living things. If that's, I mean, I didn't read the articles or I didn't read the interview or anything like that, but if that's true, then aren't we right back at where Thanos started? Of yeah, not enough cause, resources cause for none of you just have the population, but also the organic resources. So yeah, that, uh, well, we have enough shirts for everybody now though, because yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's just seemed, I, I was like, I, I wonder why Feige would come out and say that. So I wonder if that's going to play into Avengers four. Like, Hey, you, you fucked up Thanos. You killed off half the people. You also killed off half the resources. Yeah. I mean, unless, People are going to have to learn how to start, like, rationing their her food or something. Hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, I think well, that's a good... Maybe he's going to realize that he messed up, and he's going to have to undo the snap, because he was like, well, no matter what I do, it's not going to have the intended effect, so I might as well just undo it. He's the mad titan. He's never going to think that he did the wrong thing. Well, I guess maybe when he goes out to, you know, get a hamburger and only gets, like half a portion because that's all that's left and he's like oh one quarter portion (laughs) uh all right that's uh that's enough ant-man and the wasp uh i would say we both enjoyed it i enjoyed it just as much as i enjoyed the first one uh it sounds like you didn't enjoy it as much as the first one i liked it differently differently okay fair enough uh if you hadn't watched it i don't know why you listened to this point but you should go out and see it (laughs) All right, let's talk about Electric Dreams episode two. Uh, what was Auto Fact, which I thought was kind of a terrible name for the company. Essentially, it's Amazon, right? The company in the in the in the, the, the 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 episode is is a, a hyper version of Amazon. Eventually, what Amazon will become when they start building their own stuff instead yeah, of just it's like it's or like manufacturing their own stuff amazon if amazon evolves into skynet basically <laughs> uh so yeah we the the idea is that there's a nuclear war takes out uh large portions of the of of mankind and after that a few years down the line like i don't know it seems like 10 20 years down the line 
there are certain civilizations that are now existing, but uh, the pollution that's being created by these auto fact company or uh, uh, factories are killing off the resource, the little bit of resources that they have. Yes. Is that so, what you got? Basically, yeah. So you have these small outposts of humans that are trying to survive and rebuild, but the corporation or the the the, the factories are still running at like full steam. Mm-hmm. They're still making products. They're still making deliveries, even though nobody's ordering things. And um, it's essentially they the the factory itself, which is completely automated. Everything is is run by by machines. It is still taking into account, even though no one's paying for it, no one's ordering it, it's still anticipating what people are going to need and dropping it off places. Yep, and it's using uh, aerial drones to do so. So, I guess the survivors of this one small settlement, um, you know, there's trailer parks, basically, mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, okay, so we need to do something. Uh, the, we need to get the factory shut down somehow because all that pollution is not letting us grow our food. It's poisoning the water. Um, it's just so pointless, you know. So they have a plan to shoot down a drone. But take, not damage it to the point that they can't use the programming, the CPU in it? it? Was like the, yeah, it was like the CPU of it or something. And, and So, yeah, they knock down the drone. They take its processor out. They plug it into their... Own computer, system. I guess. Computer system, yeah. And somehow they're still connected to the to like the internet, so they basically send like a customer service request, <laughs> that, which was very weird. I mean, yeah, it was exactly like you would do it with Amazon. Like, yeah, how can I help you today? You just type in like, uh, oh, we need uh, customer well, service. Right. And, you, the 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 pants you sent me are too small. They're not the right size. Right. And the 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 system basically said like, okay, well, it sounds like you need. Uh, uh, a little more help than our automated system will provide. We'll send a representative like in 24 hours. And they're like, what the hell does that mean? Like, who are they going to send? So, yeah, they're just kind of debating. And like during the 24 hour period, we get a little more character work where uh, your favorite actress, Juno Temple, is walking around. Uh, I, I do not like Juno Temple. I don't think that she, I think she plays the one note character in just about everything she, she's in. And uh, it's always this like, Scatterbrained, uh, somewhat crazy, like character. I don't know. It. it I, I've just never enjoyed her. I. I think of her as a less uh, talented Ellen Page. Okay. I always. I always think that she's also trying to be Jennifer Lawrence. Like for some reason. Yeah, I could yeah. see that. She. But she wants. I don't to... want to compare her to other actresses. I just. I just don't like her. Oh, I love objectifying. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. So, yeah, so, like, in the meantime, you find out that she's kind of on the down low, like, banging this dude with a, a limp. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she also, at some point, had a relationship with the other revolutionary that she's usually tagging along with, Conrad. Yes, I call him gruff uh, Chris Hardwick. Because okay. he kind of reminds me of the um, multimedia star. Um, and whoever the other dude was, the redhead guy with the bug eyes you know and i i had seen him in stuff before too i just can't remember what it was that i'd seen him in before is it jay paulson is that is that who that was he reminded me of the yeah. dude that was in um in uh i can't think of the name right now what is it oh the cloverfield paradox but i know it's not the same dude the one that had the the crazy eye oh i don't i don't know who the 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 german dude I think, yeah, was he German? He was, like, checking himself out in the mirror. He's scratching his eye, and then, like, it turns sideways. 
Uh, I don't remember. It's it, like it's the it's the picture that they have whenever you browse Netflix and you see it on there. So that's like the picture they show. I think he was in two episodes of Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip and The West Wing. One episode of The West Wing. So I think that might be where I've seen him in because I can't really. I never seen any of this other stuff. Which he's in a lot of things. Oh, he was in Go. I I'm never saw Go. Can't hardly wait. He was in that. I don't remember that one. Uh, oh done. yeah. He's the friend in Can't Hardly Wait of the of the nerd, the one that that's infiltrating the party. So he's one of the X File nerds. I've never seen Can't Hardly Wait. You've never seen Can't Hardly Wait? No. That's odd. I saw well, I saw another another teen movie, and that made me not want to see a lot of the other teen movies that it was making fun of. <laughs> wow. So yeah, when that one came up, it was, and didn't it even have like Melissa Joan Hart in it or something like Can't that? Can't Hardly Wait has uh, oh, uh, no, it was, Jennifer uh, Love Hewitt in it. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Uh, Melissa Joan Hart is in Drive Me Crazy with Adrian Granier from Entourage. That's right. So Was that his name, Adrian? Adrian Granier, yeah, that's oh, his okay. real name. Yeah. Who Vincent was also Chase. in Devil Wears Prada. Devil Wears Prada, yeah. yeah I, I never saw that, but I heard that he was in it. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. I like it. Okay. And I know yeah. nothing about fashion. Okay. Uh, as obviously, <laughs> but yes, yeah. The, the you have the three of them that kind of come up with their own plan of we're going to use this representative when it shows up to take them back to the factory, get them past the security uh, that is around the factory, and uh, they're going to essentially because they have some uh, nuke w- nuclear warheads that they've uh, stolen from decommissioned nukes i guess that they found somewhere and they're gonna blow it up but uh we come to find out that every human in the world is actually dead and autofact created androids that believe that they're humans so that they would have consumers that would want things from them which is yes so because there was no market there's no demand they so, created a demand by creating consumers by creating the market so yeah. like they literally it's it's the, the machines are just like we have nothing to do because we have no one to serve so we create people to serve and then we give them things that they don't need like that, that company would have had to have been created by like the most anal retentive obsessive <laughs> like economistic capitalist and it turns out it's was made by the person that Juno Temple's android was based on right exactly so Juno Temple's character I think we, I think we called it out as we were watching it and it was like oh my god this is a triple twist well yeah as soon as as soon as I saw her cutting into her own head I was like oh she's gonna be a robot because that that imagery brings me right to Terminator when he's cutting open his own face and taking out his eyes and stuff like that. I was like, oh, yeah, so that makes sense. It reminded me a little bit of Ex Machina in Westworld, too, when, like, I, I was thinking it was going to be one of those situations of, like, like she doesn't know if she's real or or, or not anymore. So, somehow. like, the man in black, how he yeah, starts cutting into his arm. He keeps digging into his, like, arm, and in Ex Machina, it's kind of similar. You have, uh, what's his name? Um, Oscar Isaac. No, not Oscar Isaac, the Dom, redhead dude. Donald Gleason. Yes, Donald Gleason. Um, start to for for whatever reason he starts doubting he's human, so he like breaks the mirror in the bathroom and starts slicing his arm open. That is the the weirdest thing that always happens in those type of movies when you just start to doubt that you're human. Like, I mean, 
I guess I could do the same thing. I'd be, I could start to just doubt that, I mean, that I'm human or that, you know, there's the, there was the Elon Musk thing of oh, we're all just a simula- uh, simulation or whatever. Stephen Hawking, I think, was really pushing that one. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. I it, think Elon Musk is the one that's really anti-AI right now. It's true. He is. I, re- I do remember that. But that um, could be because he's an AI and doesn't want any competition. <laughs> competition? Uh, so, yeah, you know, you eventually come to find out that that the androids that work for Autofact, they're 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 super intelligent, but they aren't artificial intelligent, right? They're not. They're not self-aware. They're not. So, yeah, they're not self-aware. Well, no, um, those are the the drones that or the the androids that think that they're humans aren't self-aware, right? But I'm. But like Janelle Monae's character knows that she's an android, and that she's pat- Her brain, her programming is patterned after uh, the original P- head of PR. For Autofact, right? But it's to the point that the the rest of the automated systems know they have no purpose unless there's someone to serve. So they create people's to, people to serve, even though the people that they create don't want their services. Well, this particular group didn't want the services. They, I guess that's true. They said that they ha- they were the anomaly. They, they were said, the apparition in the system that Because there's a whole bunch of different little satellite groups all yeah, over the world. So, yeah, so that's... And then on top of that, um, Juno Temple's character, who we saw that she's not unique. There there was another just like her that was inside and still in like a little storage container. Um I guess the implication was that they were just going to replace their bodies with these uh, updated or different models. Yeah, so at the Janelle Monet character, Janelle Monet character that is the the customer service rep that comes to uh, deal with them. Like, even though they're sitting there explaining to her that, hey, you know, you're you're messing our shit up. We can't make new resources and stuff like that. She's like, okay, we'll take care of it. We understand. Blah blah blah. Either that was her indication is that we're going to just wipe you guys out and then start start over with the new models that we already have being built over here. Or we don't have to really worry about feeding you because you're robots. So whatever you're, you think you're eating, it doesn't really matter anyways because you're not really eating it. Yeah. So and then another interesting aspect was the fact that they were going to wipe them out. They were shooting some missiles out there. Mm hmm. Um, and then during this this monologue, I guess that she was having, um, Juno Temple starts to say how uh, she knew she was a robot a long time ago or an android. But it's after the point where uh, Janelle Monae's char- character finds the the malware that she had already that Juno Temple's character had already hidden inside well, of her brain pattern. Right. So for like a large part of it, she was still kind of pretending like she didn't realize she was an android. Right. And Janelle Monet's just calmly explained to her, is like, oh yeah, well, um, you know, you guys are kind of a mistake. We're, we're going to get rid of all of you. Uh, you know, we obviously can't exist unless we have a consumer base. So we had to create it when there wasn't one there. And for some reason, you guys are rejecting it. So we're going to take care of that. So, but do you think it's, and I'm, I know, I know I'm going to derail you right here. Uh, from your 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 train of thought, but do you think that why isn't that why isn't it that Autofact instead of going this direction of creating uh, androids that think they're human so that they can serve them, why not create uh, uh, what's uh, interspatial travel so that they can go to other civilizations, find other aliens that they could then possibly serve? 
Man, that has the beginnings of like a really interesting story idea. Like we're getting invaded by alien aliens, but oh, they just want to make our food and make plastic <laughs> products for us. Yeah, they just want to manufacture things for us because they need someone to serve. Well, that's kind of I well not directly, but that's kind of interestingly similar to the story of Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Where, really? Yeah. The if you've never seen it, and it's super boring. Yeah, it's what I've heard, and that's, um, I think that's why I kind of avoided but it. But it's actually pretty good because it's got a, some pretty heady sci-fi concepts in it. Um, basically, the big bad of the movie is this giant, gigantic, like cosmic-sized spaceship. I mean, it's it's several like hundreds of thousands of miles long it's just like this gigantic space object and it turns out as they start exploring it on the inside what it actually is it's the original voyager probe mm-hmm. that they deduce must have gone through some kind of a like a wormhole that sent it like shot it into like another section of space and time and then it was found by a, a, a again this is all speculative because they're they're kind of hypothesizing themselves they're like, this looks like the Voyager spacecraft that uh, must have been found by some hyper-intelligent uh, mechanical or, or maybe even alien civilization and then just retrofitted it to continue its mission of discovery and it became self-aware, but it was still a machine. So it was it could only do what it was programmed to do, which was basically go out and collect data. So it was kind of on its on a path towards Earth unintentionally to destroy it simply because it was sending out probes and trying to gather as much information as it could from its surroundings and then when they finally tapped into it they're like well it's yeah it's been augmented to the point where it's become self-aware but it has zero emotion it's completely logical it simply wants to know what its purpose is and um, that was the whole thing it's like oh well there's a fan theory that states that because the ship kind of melts with one of the humans because it, it wanted to meet its creator essentially that that was the origin of the Borg but that's never really been made clear but that's kind of really tangential but the whole point is that yeah what if that would make an interesting side story of like what if you know the automated system of an ancient civilization still wants to do its function but has no one to do it with because all of its original creators are dead that's actually a little bit of uh halo lore in there too the forerunners creations were still running several hundred thousand years after the forerunners uh, went extinct that's just how advanced the technology was wow look at all this it's jumping around all these different well there's a lot of really and that's why i'm really liking this series because it's opening up a lot of sci-fi tropes a lot of them are very cliche now Mm -hmm. but given the fact that phil cave dick kind of came up with a lot of this shit back in the 50s it's kind of like well yeah it's 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 kind of old hat, but it, this is the source in a way. Like this is where all of that old hat came from. Yeah, exactly. It's, it can't be cliche because it's where it originated. Yeah. So um, I mean, some people thought that uh, Bruno Mars was trying to rip off. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I take that back. Uh, it reminds me of a meme where somebody came out and was like, "Who is this Freddie Mercury guy, and why is he trying to like steal the the name type that Bruno Mars created?" Yeah. I was like. Oh, you basic child. <laughs> but that's just a meme. It's not real. It's not I'm pretty true. sure that was taken from like a real tweet. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, So I just love the implications of this. Like the whole idea behind what they were, what these machines were trying to do. So in the end, 
Juno Temple's character ends up, you know, defeating at least this uh, fraction of the auto fact and their little, you know, colony or uh, this group of people will live yeah. on right compound, there. I compound, guess. yeah. We'll, we'll, they'll live. They'll live on, not knowing that they're androids because she's not going to tell them, but. Does that really stop the 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 autofacts in the other regions of the world? You know, is it gonna bring them down, or is it gonna are they gonna come over and retaliate? What you know, what happens there? We don't know. I yeah. don't know if it's implied that all of the autofact come like factories are like have a network. Even if they did, it's just because one blows up. It's not like it was a virus. Oh, I guess she did well, put the virus, a virus. Yeah. yeah, the virus was uploaded into their system, so I would assume that it would just spread everywhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, it leaves a lot of, I think it's more just the idea. Like, um, one of the points that Juno Temple makes is that, um, one of the androids told her that he loved her and that it, it made her think for the first time. And this was literally like right before Janelle Monet's character shows up that for the first time she actually considered like, wait, what if we are more than just androids? Mm-hmm. Cause she's at this point, she's the only one that knows, even though we don't know yet. Right. Um, I guess they they made a point to mention that um, if they were to cut themselves open, their programming makes them believe that they're seeing flesh. Right. But she was able to see past that. Past and, the filters that she put. Yeah, in. and then she could see the the circuitry underneath. So it sounds like I guess that gets back to our old debate <laughs> of programming versus uh, self awareness. Well. My take on this is that maybe the others hadn't caught up yet, but I would definitely think that Juno Temple's character had reached a point of self-awareness where she was no longer the program and she was no longer the brain scan of the person she was modeled after. Mm -hmm. She had become her own person at this time, a new person. Right. And that's, uh, that's, that's my main takeaway is that she knew exactly what's happening at this point and she's gonna like keep living this life that she's been living with these other like androids mm-hmm. um, I don't know if she's gonna try to take the time to teach them or if maybe if they start to learn you know after, if they start to catch on themselves well, I mean after so many decades wouldn't they have to be like well how is it that we're not aging how is it that no one's getting pregnant like kind of thing well see and that's the one problem I have with the episode it's very conceptual but it kind of yeah there it, it it feels like there's a looming plot hole in there somewhere that we're just kind of like, well, it's it works great as a short story, but then what happens? Like, yeah, we we don't like this. This can only end terribly for everybody. Exactly. All right. Uh, once again, thought another great episode. I am super excited about watching the rest of these episodes. Ten episodes in, in total, so we have a you know good amount of stuff to watch on while we fill the time before Game of Thrones comes back or yes, Stranger Things. Stranger Things is not going to be out this October. That's a weird thing, isn't? Wasn't it always October? It was. Well, no, the first season was like in August or or July or August. Oh yeah, it would have been July because I was I watched it when I had my surgery. There you go. So. And then the second one happened to be October, and this next one, who knows? I mean, it's probably, Netflix. They don't it, have to it be. It'll probably be in 2019 when we get the next one. Yeah, same with Game of Thrones. So. Oh yeah, we know that one's gonna be 2000. At least we'll get the season sooner than we'll get any of the next books. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, if you want to talk about this show or any of the things that we or Ant Man and the Wasp we talked about earlier, 
Uh, get a hold of me on Twitter. I'm at Mitchipedia, G-E-R. John's also on Twitter as? I am at Magic Bollocks. The rest of Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram. Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. And Geek Elite Radio.com is our website. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.